Hello, this is Black Country Blokes Tune the Fat. I've been hearing a lot lately about men don't talk. But in my experience, men do talk, just people aren't listening. So it's going to be me and a group of blokes discussing our struggles and victories through life. Warning, there may be some bad language, so apologies to all the mums, especially on my own. Let's get going. Listen, listen, listen. I've been here. This is Kev Dillon with the Black Country Blokes Tune the Fat. Today, I'm with Lee Cadman, and we've got a very, very special guest. One of my all-time favourite people in the world, Ashley Nixon. We met a long time ago, about 15 years ago, when he was a 15-year-old child coming up the club through a thing called Connections. This was a youth offending group. Ashley had been expelled from numerous schools and he was a naughty lad. So, Ash, let me introduce you and let me yeah. tell, tell us about yourself, please. Yeah, um, I always remember the first time I sort of came up here. Uh, my background was kind of, as you said, a bit of a Jack the Lad kind of kid, um, getting into trouble quite a lot. Um, the sort of, the culture that I came from was very much, you know, you've got to be tough, you've got to be strong, you've got to have it all together. Um, kind of grew up without having a dad sort of father figure in the home, so I'd always had to be the man, you know what I mean, the Jack the Lad kind of a lad. And then when you come to a boxing club, you expect exactly the same sort of thing. You expect it's going to be a tough place with rough blokes and you've got to have it all together. And I just remember coming in and just feeling at home, feeling welcomed. I always remember one of the first times on the bags, I think your dad, Bob, was holding the bag and I was having a bit of a punch on the bag and you were standing there encouraging me, um, which was great. Yeah, it's a nice warm welcome it was. It was nice to come to a place that was quite friendly. And it's neat, like, as you're saying, yeah. sometimes the carrot or the love yeah. is more important than <clears throat> the stick and... Ah, come on, you, you staff wanker, tough up, tough up. Yeah, yeah, Instead of going, come on, son, I know you're a little toughie, yeah. but, you know, leave that bollocks from the street. You know what I mean? If you want to come and be something, mm. then let's get this way of thinking. And that's yeah. what we always say, it's not the Lions Boxing Club, it's the Lions Boxing Team, because we're a yeah. family. No matter where you're from or whatever you believe in or you're yeah. part of us. To me, it's true respect, isn't it, as well? Yeah. Like you come yeah. in here and you respect the people in here. They don't need to shout at you and bawl at you and swear because... There's a time for a bollocking, well, but yeah. there's a time for yeah. a cuddle. That's right, yeah. that's right. You don't need it. Because then you box for us from the age of like 15 till what time? I think it was roughly 18, 19, but I think it was, yeah. Because you were going to yeah, go yeah. into <clears throat> the Marines. That's right, yeah. Um, so like I always said, I'm a bit of a jack that I had from a kid. You know, I was, I was constantly getting arrested. You know, I'm tall, ginger with big ears. I kind of stood out, you know what I mean, from the crowd sort of thing. So I very early on built reputation, relied on my status and getting into trouble. But when, when I encountered the Royal Marines and I saw these guys that were... They come up here to do a talk, Yeah, that's they? right, yeah, they come up here and just explain, this is who we are with the Royal Marines, this is kind of what we do, this is what we're about. And something just clicked with me, like, and I, I really respected the club being open to just invite those kind of individuals in. And for me, that was it, I was set. That's my way out, that's who I'm going to be. I'm going to become a Royal Marine. Um, I want to go and serve my country and sort my life out. So yeah, that's why I looked for it, Lee. And then what happened? Me being the typical Jack the Lad that I was, I was out in a nightclub um, with friends, um, and uh, there was a lad in there that I kind of didn't like, he didn't kind of like me, and you know, one thing led to another, trying to be that Jack the Lad, trying to be that tough guy, and ended up getting into a fight in a, in a nightclub, uh, quite a serious fight, and uh, got done for ABH. Um, so that was the career kind of out the window, really. But that led you down the wrong path then, because like you... Yeah. For whatever reason, you start coming up here, going with the wrong crowd, add one incident. I mean, your life can change on one moment's madness, oh, yeah. Connie. Oh, yeah. And then you started getting into all the drugs and That's different right. gang culture. And... That's right. Yeah, so the, the drugs had always been like sort of the thing on the back burner kind of thing. We all 
find our masks, our coping mechanisms. We all have that thing that we turn to that gives us, I don't know, a sense of escape from reality kind of thing. And drugs was mine. And so from a young age, 13, 14, it was cannabis, um, kind of drinking on the weekends, uh, the occasional bit of ecstasy, that sort of thing. And then as you get older, you experiment with a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that. And you go into house parties and, and to clubs. And mm. I remember from a young age, I learned that, you know, the best way to kind of fund my drug habit was to sell drugs, you know? Yeah. And I loved, I loved going to a house party and, and, and the place would come alive because I had arrived. Mm. You know, it wasn't because I had arrived, it's because I was selling what they the wanted, you know what I mean? It's yeah. why I was providing what they wanted for the party. People didn't care about who I was, you know what I mean? But mm. that was my mask, that was who I was. And so when the Royal Marines sort of fell through, um, when the, you know, I sort of felt a little bit, you know, shame almost really. I, I broke away from the club and I don't, you know, remember now how it's kind of happened, but you kind of, that shame kind of, it can grip you kind of, it can take hold of you. And well, a week turns into a month, which turns into a yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, And then I have so many of the old lads and I say, we never fell out, but I'd yeah. left it so long, I felt embarrassed. Coming back, you and, do. And if any of the old lads are listening to this, never feel embarrassed about knocking on the door. Yeah, yeah. Because you're once a lion, always a lion. Yeah, oh, me and Ash both prove that as well, don't we? I mean, I, I went away, not not for the same reason, I, I went away to work, basically. I went away working and didn't come up here for years on end. Mm. Um, still kept in touch with Kev on the odd phone call. But, you know, um, a good mm. few years ago now, I knocked back on the door and was welcomed with mm. open arms. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I suppose for me, I had this sort of two lives going on. There was, there was the, the me up the club, getting fit, getting strong, going to the gym, wanting to be a Royal Marine, going to college and trying to get the qualifications needed. And then there was the, the, the Jack the Lad, the one with the reputation, the drugs and the house parties and stuff. And when the Royal Marines, that was kind of my escapism. That was my get out of jail free card. That was my, my escape from savage of the back country, the life that I was involved in. And when that kind of stopped, there was only one option really. And it was the drugs and the gangs. And I've always been a, all or nothing kind of guy and so I went you know into the dark world of drugs and everything else that comes with that um you know I was 19 I was dabbling in selling drugs and trying to get other people to sell drugs for me you know I wasn't I wasn't the big tough guy I wasn't the big hard man you know what I mean I think if I'm honest there's I think a lot of people will be that are involved in that world I was scared mm. I was an angry little kid you know what I mean I was frustrated I didn't know how to express myself and you know a line of cocaine seemed to work wonders you know what I mean yeah. well um, we've said on many of these shows the reason why it's such a, a big drug and alcohol epidemic, because mm. we can go and have 10 cans, a couple of grams, and I can start talking openly, going, oh, I'm really, uh, because the next yeah, day, yeah. you say, Kev, you're a bit, I was off my rocker. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. We're wanting to talk, but not many people are doing as we're doing now, free blokes, sitting around an armchair, mm. having a rattle. Yeah. But once you're off your nut, you can open up, you confess your souls, and if anyone questions it, you just go, oh, you know, it's the cheek, it's the drugs. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of the time it's not questioned because those people are in, uh, off their heads <laughs> exactly yeah, the same right. as you and don't remember right. the next morning, you know. Yeah, that's right. So one thing I'll just in encourage anybody who's listening who is struggling with something, who is feeling sort of closed off, I can't talk about it. I feel like that all the time. I've had the privilege to share this story quite a lot and to encourage people to open up. And the more I do it, Yes, the fear's still there. The anxiety sometimes is still there. We were chatting before this moment about being, you know, nervous about doing this kind of thing. Mm. But the more you do it, you feel empowered mm. and you feel free and you feel in control and you feel so good afterwards because you've spoken. Just to talk about it is so freeing. Um, and if someone mocks you on your, when you've been vulnerable, mm. they're a prick. <laughs> yeah, it's fair, yeah. Fair you know, if you're going to yeah. open your soul and say, look, this is how I'm feeling, someone teases you about it, mm. cut those kind of people out of your life because they're, they're just poisonous. Yes, right. But then after the drugs, well, during the drugs and yeah. everything, you end up getting sent down for a bit, didn't you? That's right, yeah. Yeah, so I was sort of 
selling drugs for the local lads and getting into fights and trying to live up to this status and it's only going to end one way in it really you know what I mean you get picked up for a minor possession there's a suspended sentence for the ABH and eventually the police they just have enough don't they and you get a sentence and I got off lightly you know we was, we was, I was selling with you know, these gangs were you know buying kilos of cocaine and people, a lot of the lads listening to this will know the price of a kilo of cocaine you know 48, 52,000 pounds and we were buying that kind of drugs in the gang that I ended up becoming affiliated with and breaking it down into smaller quantities and mixing it up and doing what drug dealers do sort of thing and I got off very lightly I got you know I was given six months and 14 days which in the light of what I was involved in you know I remember at one time I carried a firearm you know not because I was a gangster or a big tough guy because that was what was expected of me you know what I mean and so for me to get such a small sentence really was it's kind of a lifesaver really and so I often say to people for me going to prison was the best thing that happened to me and while you were in prison you had a bit of a, an awakening didn't you yeah yeah, for me, yeah. Prison was weird. I mean, prison for me, it didn't change me, it didn't transform me. It was the system that holds me sort of thing. And you're in there mixing with other gang lads and other ruffins. And I started my sentence in um, uh, HMP Birmingham, which is Winston Green. And so the first year arrived there, and again, there's the scared little kid trying to work out, well, what do I do? How do I master fear? How do I make sure I, no one's going to mess with me? And so again, you start to mix with the gangs. You work out how to smuggle drugs into prison, and you work out how to be the jack the lad you need to be. Um, so when I was kind of in that prison, just it was the same old routine, really, the same old story. Um, and then before I was getting towards the end of my sentence, I should have been released early on tag. Uh, for some reason, I managed to behave myself enough to get released early on tag, sort of first sentence. Not get caught, is yeah, it? Yeah, not get caught. That's the answer. Yeah, before that, I was always get like, I don't know what it was. A lot of people have done similar things to me, or not, even not worse, but I always seemed to be the one that got caught, you know, and I was stupid. But um, this security guard, I remember this guard came to my cell and he said, look, mate, there's been a change of plan. Uh, we're transferring you to Walton up Liverpool, uh, which is HMP Liverpool up there. Um, which for me, I was gutted. I couldn't believe what I was hearing, you know. In prison, I don't know if anybody listening knows the prison system. Oftentimes, if you're transferred from one prison to another, your release date can be set back. Your paperwork kind of has to catch up. And your regular canteen, the money you get each week, that's kind of put on hold for a bit. And it just, your whole life's just, it's messed up, really. It's crazy how quickly you become institutionalised and you get used to the system and the comforts of prison. Um, so I found myself being transferred up to the next prison and again done the same thing I'd always done. You know, I've got to try and build my status, got to try and make sure no one's going to mess with me. So here I am now, I'm the, again the ginger lad, the tall guy, the big ears, sticks out. Now I've got a black country accent and I'm surrounded by scousers. And so ever more people, you know, the pressure's there to try and be who I need to be. And so again, I started to sort of borrow tobacco from the gangs in prison. Um, so tobacco is kind of currency and you have like sort of loan sharks as you would on the outside in prison. It says gangs in there, and so you'll borrow a small amount of tobacco one week, and the next week it's called double bubble. You're supposed to pay back twice as much. But obviously, my canteen's on hold. Tobacco is the only addiction that I'm allowed, and so I thought the best way to build my status is just borrow tobacco and not pay them back. Um, and so I found someone who I thought I can, you know, I can have him. He's, you know, he's not too tough. So I borrowed some small amount of tobacco from him. The following week, he comes up to me and says, "Look, you need to pay up." And so I sort of fobbed him off, basically told him where to go. He sort of disappears. Says, "I'm going to go get my cousin." Next thing I know, this big, huge guy comes walking up the ring. I'm, you know, on a corridor of 300 lads. I'm on the fifth landing, and there's this big, huge guy coming towards me. There's, there's a buzz in the, in, the, in the prison. Everyone knows what's about to happen, and I am absolutely cacking my pants. <laughs> absolutely cacking my pants. And this huge guy comes walking towards me, and I sort of stand there all cocky and arrogant, and he sort of stands next to me. And normally in prison, you'd go into a paddle or a prison cell and have a bit of a ruckus, but this guy wanted to prove who, how hard he was. And so I'm standing on the corridor and he says, so when are you going to pay me back then, mate? And 
I sort of laughed a little bit, like cocky assurance, like, and as I looked at him, that just, nervous, yeah, kind of roller coaster laughter, laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and as I turned to him, he just hit me full on, like this big hook on the side of my head. And I'm thankful for the years of boxing because I think I managed <laughs> to just stable myself enough. But so this guy's hit me, and I've sort of rocked back a little bit. He's come to hit me again, and I'm thinking that's it. It's just going off. And so I'm trying to throw punches. He's throwing punches, and eventually the security guys jump on him. He gets pinned to the floor. And I sort of recatch my breath a little bit. And as I've turned to the left, the scrawny little cousin was there, and he had a little pop as well, so I have a little go with him as well. Again, the security guys jump on him, and just purely by the fact that the security guards were closer to them than me, I ended up being the last man standing. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not the tough guy, I'm not a big guard, you know, Billy Big Bollocks or anything. I happen to be the last man standing, and these guys got dragged to the floor. So all of a sudden, my reputation's going through the roof in the prison. All these lads are thinking, how dare he kick off, how dare he rob the scousers and all this, that, the other. And so, like, the, the security guards then ended up moving them from that wing of the prison to another wing of the prison. To save, you know, to save face for the sake of peace. And so these guys, angry, upset, they put a price on my head. And so I'm in prison with a price on my head. Um, a long way yeah, from home. Yeah, yeah. So look, basically, they, you know, they offer whoever's in prison so much tobacco to give me a kicking or a stabbing or end up dead. And so that's the situation I was in, you know what I mean? That's who I am. That's in, in the fullness of who I am. I'm a Jack the Lad, an idiot that gets into trouble and it just seems to follow me around. And so there I am in prison, life's in danger, looking over my shoulder, scared little kid again thinking this ain't working this ain't it ain't helping you know what i mean trying to be tough trying to be closed off trying to have it all together it don't work yeah. you know it's got me into this complete mess and i'm broken and um it was at this point this this lad come over to me um he'd been transferred from the previous prison with me and he was in the cell opposite me and he kind of obviously just been watching what was going on sort of thing and we'd had brief conversations before and he came to me and said uh, mate i, th I think <coughs> you need god i think you need god in your life and i almost laughed at the guy you know, I thought the guy was taking the piss, you know what I mean? You think of Ned Flanders in The Simpsons, isn't you? <laughs> you know, the vicar of Dibley, the father Ted, and you think, no, nah, I don't think so, mate. I don't want to, you know what I mean? I don't want to, you kind of laugh the guy off, you know? Like, he, he was quite brave coming to share something like that. He was trying to be open. You know, that's kind of one of the things I think we're picking up today, isn't it? Being open, mm. being vulnerable. And he was vulnerable, and he came to his little, mate, I think, I think you need God, mate. I think you need a bit of hope. And again, trying to be the tough guy, you close yourself off, but something inside must have triggered, whether it was his weakness, whether it was his vulnerability, whether it was this notion that there's a God out there. But, you know, I'm, I'm a scumbag, I'm in prison. I'm getting exactly what I deserve. Why would God or a higher power or anything like that want anything to do with me? Um, so it kind of troubled me a little bit. Um, a couple of days later, I'm walking down the corridor in the prison, ever still looking over my shoulder, and there's a sign-up sheet on the wall for chapel. And so when you're in prison, you see this sign-up sheet on the wall, and as you kind of walk towards it, like, like you know, as you, you sign your name up, the security guy will come to your cell on a Sunday, release you from your cell, take you to a chapel, take you to a service and bring you back. And so I see this thing on the wall, this A4 piece of paper, and I look and I think, I don't want nothing to do with it. I'm, I don't, I'm not interested in it, I don't, I don't want to know. And I kind of went to walk away, and as I walked away, I felt like a tugging, like something inside just pulling, like an urge to just go back. Um, you know, looking back now, like I've kind of got the words to describe what I was feeling and what was going on, but it was a weird, mm. weird feeling. So sort of I never really experienced anything like that. And so as I turned around, went to walk back, just the sense of excitement began to grow in me. Yeah. Uh, like almost like a, an adrenaline rush. It was almost like I was coming up on ecstasy. Like, 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 there was like a buzz, there was like a euphoria kind of feeling. And I'm walking towards this thing, and I, again, I look at it, and I, and I take notice of what it was. I'm, thinking, I, I'm arguing with myself, is this right? Do I want to do this? And in the end, I thought, you know what, what can it hurt? Let's just, let's just sign up, let's just go to chapel. Let's just see what this God thing's all about. What can it hurt? Yeah, what can it hurt kind of thing. And, like, and so I signed up my name, and like, a sense of peace hit me. I'd never experienced in all my life. Honestly, I mean, I'm in prison, like was I said. Was that the first day in the chapel? 
Yeah, no, that was, this was in the corridor. That was just writing, yeah, yeah, sorry, that was just... Like, that's even before you've been yeah, there. Yeah, even before I've been there, there's just a piece of paper on the wall, mm. sign up for chapel. And I'm there arguing myself, to and fro, and these emotions are running raw within me. Everything's like sort of coming to the surface sort of thing. And, and I sign my name, but it's almost like a, a moment of surrender, like, okay, I need help. Mm. And just peace, massive yeah. sense of peace. You asking for help? Then? Yeah, 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 it's almost like, it is weird. Like, I'm in prison, life in, like I said, life in danger, and I'm feeling that peace, I'm feeling like there's a way out. All of a sudden I had hope, just from signing my name up on a piece of paper. Yeah. That was crazy. So yeah, kind of a bit of an awakening, really. And then, yeah. did, did you, what happened when you first started going there? Yeah, it's a bit, yeah. It, looking back, it's hard to sort of pick the early memories out, you know, from drug addiction and stuff like that, but yeah. You just remember that instant of yeah, euphoria? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I remember, you know, over the next few weeks, I kind of go to chapel, and I'm going to chapel week in, week out, and. The lads in there, they're a bit more vulnerable than they are when they're on the wing. They're a bit more open, mm. you know, and they're a bit more soft. And you see these big, tough, hard brokes, like, you know, much lifers, you know, much more tougher guys than I am, like, covered in tattoos and that. And they're singing these crazy songs and they're, all, they're hugging each other and that and, and, and praying with each other and stuff. And it was just a weird environment to be in. But I remember hearing about this God who loves me, um, hearing about forgiveness, hearing about second chances. And it's exactly what I needed to hear at the time, you know what I mean? I really did. Um, I remember going back to my cell and sort of, praying my first kind of prayer, not really knowing what I'm doing. I sort of like cried out, you know, God, if you're out there, you are who these people say you are, I'm a mess. You know, the first time I'm coming to the end of myself thinking, you know, I am a mess, I need help, please help me. Sort Realisation. Yeah, yeah, realisation that all my efforts to be the tough guy is not working. The the doubts and the fears and the insecurities are still there. Help, please help, kind of thing, so. And how long was that before you got released? Probably eight weeks, something like that, eight, nine weeks before that, so. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to chapel week in, week out, still looking over my shoulder, still wondering what's going to happen. Occasionally coming towards a situation where like a rival gang would be there or some lads who I know are taking these guys up on their offering uh, and, and they sort of walk towards me and an alarm would go off or a security guard would turn up. Yeah. And I honestly felt like I was being protected the whole time I was in prison. I felt as though there was something there, but I couldn't explain it, something outside of myself something greater than me, protecting me. Well, eight weeks is a long time to last with that many... Yeah, 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 yeah. Trying, trying to, trying to get it, like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I had moments where a lad would come into me solo and go, oh, you're that so-and-so, you know, cursing at me, like... And we'd have a few strong words of each other, like, and then he'd go off, I'll wait till I go and get so-and-so. And then so-and-so never came, or he never came back, and it was just weird environment, really. Cause yeah. Because then, then you left prison. Yeah. <clears throat> you left prison. And then, what happened? Because it must have been hard not to go back to the old ways and to find your way back here, was it? Yeah, yeah. So I wish that like that was it, the story changed, you know, I've got this new hope, but I come out of prison and so, that, that lad's given me my first Bible, so I've got this Bible, this crazy book that I'm going to try and read and I'm trying to work out what prayer's all about. And the idea of going to church, that didn't even equate in my mind. So I come out, the first night I'm out, out of prison, I'm on tag, I've got to be in by 7pm. And so I'm out with me mates, some stiffing cocaine, because that's what, you know what I mean? Like you. You've had this encounter and you're trying to change your life. You've admitted that you need help, but that, that you don't just change instantly. You know, you come out and you're surrounded by... And when you're into yeah, drugs, yeah, yeah. having a liner, there, having a bag of coke, yeah. is, if that's, that could be as familiar as going out and having a pint of Carlin. Yeah, that's if right. If that's how you socialise with your group, yeah, that's, right. that's what you do, Yeah, isn't that's it? it. So yeah, I'm out, I'm out with Nans, I'm on tag. The guys come to fit my tag and stuff, and then I get a knock at the door. My mate's turned up. Oh, how you doing, mate? Ain't seen you. He's got a bag of Charlie. I mean, like the, the idea of saying no was still hard. Peer pressure was still really tough. And so I found myself over the next 10 months kind of going out on the weekends, getting into fights, getting into trouble, selling drugs, 
partying. I mean, I, I remember getting into a fight at Pitchrose. I mean, people here will probably know the Pitchrose. I got into a fight at the Pitchrose with, with a group of lads, thinking I was the big man on cocaine, sniffed out my head. Got my jaw broke, two metal plates and eight screws in my chin because I got into a fight, you know. And so my life was still chaotic and crazy. And then I'd come home and in between read my Bible and pray. And I'd go out, get smashed, get off my head, come home, read the Bible and pray. And it was, it was weird, like, you know, I talked about coincidences in prison, how, you know, a security guard would turn up and an alarm would go off. And again, like, coincidences started to take place. The gang I was involved in uh, were caught in, like, a 1.3 million pounds drug bus not far from where we are now. And they were removed from the streets. Um, the girlfriend who I was with before I was in prison, I found out she was sleeping with my best friend. They were removed from my life. And so all the the bad sort of bunch, the bad crowd was sort of removed one by one sort of thing. And I found myself isolated and all alone and reading my Bible and praying, but something else needed to happen. I needed people around me. I needed friends. I needed support. I needed, you know, I needed help. I really needed more people. And it was then that I started thinking, you know what, I might go back up the club. I might go back up the boxing club. I remember when, when I was a kid and I came up here, you know, with connections and stuff and a broken little kid that I was then and just felt the love, the community, the compassion and not being judged. I thought, that's what I need, I need that. And so I ended up, yeah, I came back to the club, didn't I? I remember one day um, I was here doing one of the classes and yeah. uh, you just come in so much bigger than you was, you know, because I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's me, actually, and I, obviously I know you am. And um, he said, you, you saved my life once, could you do it again? Mm. And I went, Ashley, you never left. You're just somewhere different. Yeah, You've yeah, always yeah. been here in spirit and it, the door's always open when you want to come back. Mm. So you started coming up, helping in the daytime yeah, and training yeah. and then you went and boxed, didn't you? And yeah, ended up yeah, winning yeah. A, a novice Midlands championship. Mm. And uh, you and then I remember one day and you come over to me, almost like that embarrassing embarrassed kid and going yeah, Kev yeah, yeah. don't feel no less than me but um, when I was in prison I uh, I found God I remember saying to you never be ashamed yeah, yeah, yeah. of anything that makes you a better man whether it's God or whether it, whatever it is if it makes you a better man and stops you from going down that path and you grab it with both hands mm, true. and then yeah, true. What, how did that take you then then you've obviously you've yeah, become yeah, a Christian yeah. and but can you tell people the next stage of the journey with God that you've taken with getting qualifications? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I just ask like I was around when you'd come back in and I'd yeah. have never known any of this because yeah. you were such a nice bloke. I mean, I don't know what, yeah, yeah, what you yeah, expect yeah, yeah. But from what you're describing to me because I used to give you lifts up the gym and, yeah, and right. train yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and like none of, and none of that. He didn't know the jack the land that not, No, <laughs> not until. <laughs> Lock the doors. No, that's it. I ain't giving him a lift. I'd have swerved you. Yeah. No, I wouldn't have done both. We've had so many people <laughs> yeah, yeah. who leave what they are on the street, street. Yeah, outside right, yeah. the door. When you're in yep. here, you're a family man, and I love you, Auntie Julie, Uncle Bob, and mm -hmm. uh, let me help Jasmine out. And then out there, as you leave the car park, then your normal mm. life continues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think at the, that point, you might have changed. You, you were going through that change anyway, yeah, so that yeah. would have been... Yep. That was your past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And ultimately, you're not going to come in here and tell everyone... No, you're not at all. <laughs> I think uh, there's a big word in the, in the church, it's grace. And grace is like, it's the unmerited, undeserved favour and love of somebody. And the same thing you enc I encountered in prison with that God, the same thing I encountered with other church was the same thing that this club embodies. Mm -hmm. You know, and you get all kinds of guys in here, all kinds of jack the lads, you know, all kinds of faiths, all kinds of religions, all kinds of colours, heights, differences. And when they come through that door, it's family. Mm. You respect one another, there's no bullying. You listen when you need to listen, get stuck in, let's have a laugh, let's do it, have a crack. And that is, is powerful. And I think when you've shown that kind of love, 
when you know you're a scumbag, you know you've made a mess of your life and still you're loved, it, it makes you hungry to show that to others. Like it's infectious, like love's infectious, isn't it? Mm. And like when you're the jack that has the tough guy, you can't give love out. Because you can't give it out, you don't receive it very well. Mm. But when you're broken, and I think it takes some of us to be broken, to be at rock bottom, to you know, really hit the floor before we say, you know what, I need I need help, like and that moment of opening yourself up to something more than yourself, it's incredibly freeing. Incredibly freeing. So we're like you come up here like and you know, I've had a mess of my life, you know what I mean? Absolute toe rag, destroy my family, destroy the lives of those around me. Felt the guilt and shame of letting people down. But then Kev's like, hey, mate, can you come out and do a demonstration? I'm there in front of a class and he's letting me do a demonstration. Like, it's just beautiful to be allowed that kind of responsibility almost. That trust as well, yeah, because trust. a lot of that yeah, demonstrating yeah, yeah. is with kids, yeah, are, yeah, yeah. you know, it's uh, yeah, to, yeah, to, be, yeah. to yeah, know someone trusts you enough. Mm in that situation yeah. and so here in, in the club Kev's giving me the opportunity to box and to fight and I'm starting to win bouts and people are cheering my name because I'm winning fights and mm. then I'm coaching the young kids and I'm helping them to put the slightest mistake right and just to see their gratitude it just it was amazing and then to have the same thing happening in church and so I'm at the church and I'm, I'm going to church week in week out and hearing that you can go to church in the middle of the week and then the minister came to me and he sort of knew my background a little bit they kind of just accepted me for who I am they did the same sort of thing started to give you a bit of responsibility, a bit of love, a bit of acceptance, and you just, yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's what a lot of people need, they just need to know they're accepted and loved. And did they put you on the course? They, yeah. Because, um, yeah, yeah. If, if you go into that, you, the yeah, courses okay. you've done and what you want to achieve. Mm. So, yeah, so I did look at a year's internship at the church, which is kind of like, for me, church, you know, what, what is church? What is this Christianity business? Because we have these preconceived ideas of what Christianity is all about. And from being from the outside in, it's a completely different world on the inside. So I did an internship, which is basically a year immersed in all kinds of church work, food banks, uh, helping the homeless and the sick and the poor and teaching the kids on a Sunday or going to Bible studies, that sort of thing. And I sort of done that for a year, moved into the church, excelled in that kind of thing. And then the minister kind of recommended me to go to university. Um, and so like I went to a Bible college, which is a university. Uh, I done a degree, so I done a three year degree. Uh, so for a lad that was, you know, an ex-con, an ex-drug addict, I finished with a first-class honours at university, well done, which was yeah. seriously hard work. There's a lot of a lot of prayer, a lot of dedication, a lot of just committing myself to reading books and understanding what was going on. Um, so I finished, uh, with, like I said, with a first-class honours. Between my first year and my second year at uni, I got married to a, a beautiful woman. Uh, I think she's well out of my league, but she's, she's, <laughs> she loves me to bits and I love her. And again, there's just that acceptance and that yeah. love kind of thing. So I'm married, I've got a degree. Um, and now I, I've just finished my first year as a training minister. So it's kind of a minister in training uh, within Elim. Um, so I potentially, God willing, I will be uh, a reverend in a few years' time, a couple of years' time. And you've also got your level one coaching. Level one coaching in boxing as well, yeah, yeah. And this is wonderful. I mean, when anyone asks me about my greatest achievements in boxing, I mean, it's wonderful having the ABA champions and it's wonderful having lads with Box for England. But when anyone asks me on any interview, I always say Ashley Nixon because mm. we had this... Toe rag, Jack the lad, whatever terminology. <laughs> like I think I love a lot of yeah, words yeah, that might have summed him up. But how he's turned his life around is the greatest uh, gold medal I've ever had in boxing. Mm. And then once we started this podcast, I've always wanted to get Ashley on to tell him, tell you about the stories. Because I remember me and Ashley talking about church. And Ashley was saying um, his idea of his perfect church would be having a carvery. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. all the rogues would be sat around breaking bread, talking about love and mm. brotherhood and sisterhood yeah, yeah, yeah. and fatherhood. And, yeah, that's it. And a lot yeah. of people forget, um, not being too religious, because I'm, I'm something that I'd, I've always called a Kevist. <laughs> I, I have my faith in what yeah. I believe in. And, but one thing I always remember about the Bible, 
the disciples, they're all toe rags. Oh, yeah. They're all the... Ruffins. The ruffins, the criminals, the... So they weren't the holy, saintly mm. people that we associate with the Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus happened to find these bunch of worthy soldiers yeah. who loved him and he loved them and who were accepted yeah. by what he stood for. Mm-hmm. And I think if there's more people like yourself, Ash, yeah. in Should power within you. the church, it'd be a lot more of the 20th century. Saying yeah, the same yeah. stuff, but in a more... Different way, Yeah, different yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the, the part of the thing becoming a Christian. You, you bring on, like, 2,000 years of church history, and I'll be, you know, as a Christian, I'll admit, like, church is messy, man. We've made some serious mistakes through the years as Christians. I've, like, mm. you know, church in, in itself, it's not the building, and we've made it this building that we go to on a Sunday, you know, with a nice, pretty courtyard and, and great... Church in itself, in the purest form, it's the people. It's, it's, it's the group of lads, it's the, it's the lads, you know what I mean? I, I don't see any problem going down the pub, having a carvery, playing a couple of games of pool and a couple of, a couple of points and just chatting about real life, yeah. talking about real things, you know what I mean? Like, church is exactly that, it's a community, it's a body of believers that are together. And so I've often, you know, we've joked and talked about, you know, I'd love to take on, you know, like some of the big old mansion pubs that you've got mm. in sort of Burma, I'd love to have one of them and just turn that into just a community, a place of love, a place of acceptance, a place where the jack, the lad, the tow rag, or even the businessman who's got his entire life together, yeah. the 2.4 children, you know, the nice holidays, the luxury cars, but still there's emptiness inside. Mm. There's that void, something's missing. And just to create that place where people can explore that and know what that is without the rules, the regulations, and, you know, stand when you're told to stand, that kind of an environment. It's the singing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, mate, I'll be honest, like, I, like, I love singing now. <laughs> my voice is awful, like a clear room, but like, when you're in that place full of that love, there's no better way, mate. Sing mm. away, mate. But yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, Ash, may I say from the bottom of my heart, congratulations Thank on you, everything mate. you've done. Thank you. And keep on doing it. Yeah. Um, but today we're going to leave on a bit of a quote. I won't put Ashley on the spot, but the, uh, the quote today is, in the words was a KRS one who's a very talented rapper and philosopher. On the other side of struggle, there is often success. Mm-hmm. So until next week, gang, ta a bit. Listen, listen, listen. And that's a wrap for another show. But if there are any comments or messages that you'd like us to read out for our next podcast, please be in touch. There are also lots of different organisations at the bottom of this page, and hopefully they can help you or someone you care about. Please share this to spread the word. Until we talk next time, ta a bit. Listen, listen, listen.